Greetings, dear listeners. A very special episode this week. We invited the inimitable and brilliant Catherine D. onto the podcast. We'll let her introduce herself as the episode starts, but you should check out her work. We, this week, includes our dear friend and newly minted editor-at-large, Christine Emba, who also joined the conversation. We discussed the antinatalist movement, climate anxiety, and all manners of dysphoria, and how the internet is to blame for it all. Really a terrific episode. If you're not yet a paying subscriber, please do consider becoming one. Paying members get a longer conversation here at the pod and access to some paywalled content on the website. Head on over to wisdomofcrowds.live and join us. On to the show. Anyway, Catherine, uh, it's really great to have you on the show. Um, I've wait, are we? Yeah, we're rolling already. Now? I this is all this has <laughs> oh, all been recorded. I'm just going to cut it in a place that is that is maximally maximally uh, fortuitous for the for the whole vibe. Christine. Super. Um, okay, well, just maybe start that over again. Then. No, no, I think I'll keep this. Are we recording thing in? The, the audience loves this kind of stuff. <laughs> Catherine, Catherine, I, I've I've been reading you for a while. Uh, if if your if our audience doesn't know who you are, uh, they should check you out on Substack. Uh, Default friend is the name of the of the of the stack. Is that the the short form for Substack now? Um, and you know, I I've I've always sort of uh, thought it difficult to uh, describe who you are. Before we started recording, you said you're you're. You're a writer and an internet personality. Uh, I, I, I guess if I were ever to describe you, I'd sort of say internet historian. I don't know. Is that right? Um, it's close. I feel like I'm stealing valor by saying I'm a historian of any kind. <laughs> I used to say that, but um, you know that's an actual that's an actual profession that people are in. Uh, I guess I I guess it's maybe the closest to what I do though. Um, I, I interview people. I look, you know, look through archives. I write about what I what I find. Um, yeah, so it's a it's a type of I guess it's you know, like amateur historian maybe. Yeah, I mean, your your most recent piece, which is what uh, why I think you know Shadi and Christine and I wanted to have you on to sort of chat about. Um, I'm we you know we can talk about the details of it, but I think what 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 why it's very much uh, a piece that only you could write is that you've excavated a good bit of uh, internet history about, you know, well, the topic is, is uh, people not wanting to have, uh, well, more than not wanting to have kids, call it the broad antinatalism movement. But, but what, what made the piece good, or at least, or more than good, unique, is, is uh, the part that, is the fact that it's, it's, it's really delving into this sort of the internet history behind these kinds of movements. I love, okay, and I should just jump in here because I absolutely loved this piece, and we will include a link in the show notes. Everyone should give it a look because it's just bonkers stuff, and it's good to have someone like Catherine who is actually willing to do the work, so to speak, to find out about these weird internet rabbit holes. Um, and it challenges me because I try to be understanding of deep difference that's part of our ethos at wisdom of crowds we're pluralists but this is where i really hit my limit on this topic 
and reading about these people, like it kind of makes me angry. So people who don't want to have children because of climate change, I feel like this is the platonic ideal of white privilege. Like people who are just, they're, they're so, they're, they're so like, well, in the broader sweep of human history, rich and self-satisfied that they actually have the luxury to indulge in genuinely crazy ideas. But I'm going to try to temper this dislike of this subculture. And I really want to, I really want to do better to at least understand where these people are coming from. And it's not just that they don't want to have children as far as I can tell. It's that they they think existence is bad inherently. They, they, they don't think people should in some basic sense be alive. Um, but Catherine, <laughs> wow. I mean, take, t- take that where you will, but... Yeah, well, he'll- and Shadi, I mean, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's important that you choose to do better, Shadi. I think we're going to push you to do that on this podcast. Good. But um, I also just wanted to say hi, Catherine. Uh, this is Christine, and we met briefly, actually, like uh, a couple weeks ago in person here in D.C. Um, but I have also been following your work for it feels like a long time, especially in internet time. Uh, feels like ages. Um, I cited some of your writing in my book, actually, Rethinking Sex, and I love the way that you're thinking about how these sort of philosophical questions and these human mindsets actually maybe all sort of emerged from like 4chan or Tumblr at some point in time. Um, And our self-creation on the internet is now influencing how we how we view real life. Um, And I think that this is just like a perfect example of where that that split happens too. It it seems so much easier to imagine not existing or hating existence, like physical existence, if you can kind of split yourself, right? Like if you live online, it's much easier to sort of hate your real body in the world, like a reverse Gnosticism, if I'm using that term right. Um, Anyway, I am just, I'm really excited for this conversation and really excited to finally get to chat with you. Yeah. So, Christine, but what do you take issue with in my description? Because it sounds like you don't, and the, the great thing about this episode is I literally have no idea what Christine's views are. I can maybe guess, but I, you know, I don't know where she's going to take this, but it sounds like you don't agree with my dislike of this internet subculture. Well, it's not that I don't completely agree. I also find just sort of psychically the idea that you should hate being born and want to end human existence forever kind of ridiculous. But I would be interested in pushing you to kind of sympathize or see through the eyes of the people who are making these claims as deranged as they might feel. I mean, I think it's important to note that maybe not antinatalism in the most intense um philosophic sense, but this sort of like fear of having children due to what seems like a a declining planet or a declining standard of living is really affecting people's choices. And I'm I'm wondering if instead of just making fun of them, um, which I have a sense that it will be very easy for you to do, Shadi, if there is a way to actually make a positive case um, for why this is not the right way of viewing the world. And yeah, Catherine, I we're just like talking to, yeah, to yeah, each yeah. other right now. So Catherine, let tell, us know tell, what you think. How, how did you how did you how did you come to write this story? Let's start with that. That's maybe the 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 best way to sort of maybe approach it and then we can unpack some of this stuff. So uh it, so antinatalists actually had all, already been on my radar 
because it feels like they've always been kind of orbiting the rational, like capital R, you know, Yudkowsky-style rationalist community. Uh, many rationalists are antinatalists, so on and so forth. But what really got them on my radar was I did a deep dive on Adam Lanza, who was a Sandy Hook shooter, um, his digital footprint. And he was like a very extreme form of antinatalist. Uh, he was an ethylist, which is sort of like a subset of antinatalism. And it's a step further beyond like, uh, you know, don't have children. It's it's life is suffering in the the, the broadest sense. Sentience is immoral. Uh, if, you know, they, they have this thing called like the red button uh, question or something like if you could press a red button and uh, get, you know, extinguish all life on earth. But it's you know, completely, you know, an ethical way. Would you do it? And of course, they say yes. Uh, but what what uh, was the catalyst for this article was my friend uh, Alex Kashuda and I are doing a project on different internet ideologies, uh, especially ones that are like sort of foundational that other ones have like sprung forth from. And this was the first one because it felt like. Is it's such a great way to explore the evolution of YouTube and, and dissident debate spaces, uh, and how and how these things sort of end up converging, like how like a dissident YouTube debate community can merge with a like a live journal group and turn into like a million person large subreddit. And I wrote this piece as a poorly timed piece of like marketing collateral, which is like, we have this this series coming out, you know, listen to the series, but I didn't get the timing right, unfortunately. So the, the series is still being edited and is is not out yet. So it's going to be a podcast series discussing this or or it's going to be a series of articles that you're publishing somewhere on your Substack, or where? A, a series, uh, so a limited series podcast of different ideologies that are basically digitally native, or if not digitally native, took on a new life online, and especially ones that are are like very foundational. So antinatalism is one of them, rationalism, uh, esoteric Hitlerism, just all, all sorts of things that end, <laughs> end up spawning all these different subcultures. All the What's classics. What's esoteric Hitlerism? <laughs> oh man, let's not go in a rabbit hole, but right, I would like, love to hear. <laughs> I, I'm interested. I want to know. Let's, just that's, I feel like that's a different <laughs> different topic for a different day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so but but what's interesting about it is is this one at least uh, as opposed to perhaps esoteric Hitlerism, right? Is uh it's it's everywhere now. And maybe that's why uh that article at least for me jumped off the page because it it unearthed the the fact that that you know, whatever this this online community was and however it was uh germinating in the background for a long time it was also running in parallel with with like all these other trends, uh, you know, and all tied to what Christine wants Shadi to empathize with this 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 fear of uh, you know a world unto which you know one I don't know just ought not to bring children into. Um, but your piece, I think, what what I liked about your piece is that that you know by by digging into these sort of unsavory corners of the internet, um, it, uh, to me, shows the kind of unsavory logic of the more mainstream opinion that Christine wants us to empathize with a bit more, which is what I think has radicalized Shadi in reading your piece. It's that um, uh, there is a kind of sense of, of, of entitlement to, uh, to be even thinking this way, I don't know. Did you 
did you are you approaching it that way or am I just reading myself and perhaps shoddy into your piece somewhat? <laughs> uh, it was I actually found myself uh, sympathetic to their perspective. I, I I don't know if I like looked at you know, like YouTube videos or their perspective on the world and thought, wow, these people are really entitled. I thought it was a very sad way to live. Uh, it's, I'm, you know, I'm sympathetic, not empathetic. Uh, I, I mean, I feel similar, similarly to like asexuals. Like I can't, I can't like model that, you know, it's like, well, why not just kill yourself? Right. That's a question that antinatalists get often. And I've spoken to a few since that article came out and they've been very clear, like that. And I don't think this is actually true of all or maybe even most antinatalists, but they, the ones who have reached out to me have said, I enjoy life in the present moment, but the enjoyment that I feel isn't greater than the, su- it, than, you know, the suffering that life inflicts in general. So I'm not going to have a child and bring someone into the world without their consent, which feels, it, it feels ridiculous, but not entitled. Well, so, you know, let me just make the case for entitlement and then Christine can jump on me and you can jump on me perhaps. And I don't know, maybe Shadi can defend me, but I guess what the, the part that, 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 that bothers me about that worldview and bothers me is I, I honestly, it doesn't bother me in any sort of profound sense. Like I'm generally a live and let live people, people, person, if people want to be that way, I mean, it, it doesn't bother me so much, but it's, it's that, that implied, it's the implied ethics behind it that, that, that bugs me to a certain extent. Um, and it's, I, I guess, I guess where I'm coming at a lot of these things from in my very generally live and let live sort of way, kind of like, you know, uh, um, well, like like any number of movements, you know. I mean, it's your thing. Do what you want to do. If that leads you to self harm, well, I'm I'm really sorry, but it, it's just it, it doesn't impact me. But the 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 part is is this idea that they they the the sense I got from reading your piece and in general from reading reading a lot of these pieces is a deep sense that these people are somehow doing feel they they feel like they are doing the ultimate good somehow. And it's it's that kind of, I don't know, sense of certainty, moral certainty, that I just find like really difficult to, I don't know what, identify with. Um, this is, again, I think, you know, uh, temptation for, for Christine to jump on me, but but that's what bugs me on it, is that kind of, it's not holier than thou, but a kind of... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Is it is it is it a kind of um, almost m- not messianic saint like pose? Am I am I am I barking well, up the wrong right. tree? I'm, no, I mean I think I think you have a point, and this is something that has bothered me about rationalists, where it's like they they even if they are like sort of like uh, non judgmental person to person when they're talking about their their points of view, like in an essay or on Twitter, um, they have this like feeling of like oh, you just don't understand where I'm coming from yet, and eventually you will. And that is, I mean, that is very annoying because it's just so, it's sort of condescending in a way. No, it's it's super annoying, actually. I mean, I was trying to play a little bit of a devil's advocate just to bark up Shadi's tree a little bit because as we all know, I enjoy doing that. Um, but I I agree with you on the the... I almost want to say the ugliness of that kind of certainty and rationalists are the perfect... Dim- perfect example. And this is why I also find 
long-termists so annoying <laughs> and frustrating. And they're kind of the opposite view, right? That like, well, we have to protect the future of humanity by doing X, Y, and Z things. And obviously I figured out what the things are and you just don't <laughs> get it yet, but I'll tell you how to do it. And this just seems like that view cast backwards. Like, well, we have to protect the people who don't exist yet by not bringing them into existence and doing X, Y, and Z things. And if you were smart and attuned to the realities of the world like I am, maybe you'd understand too. And it's like, who, who made you God? Like, how do you know? Why should anyone listen to you? There are many, many millions of people who are extremely glad to have been born. Um, and in fact, you're alive right now lecturing me <laughs> about how you shouldn't be. Like, that seems like a personal problem to me. Um, but I mean, actually, if you think about it, and Shadi, I mean, I know you have thoughts on this. This sort of idea of certainty is actually why, you know, the at least Abrahamic faiths frown upon sort of suicide and this anti-natalist pose um, as a religious ideal, because it assumes that the human person, right, is sovereign, that you know more than God, who presumably created you and gave you life or put you here for some reason. Um, it, in a sense, like raises you to the arbiter of human existence and like, who gave you that privilege? Exactly. I mean, th there's a certain kind of arrogance to it, um, usurping God's role. I mean, if you believe in God, this is actually pretty central, that if God is the creator, you know, presumably he's the only one that can ultimately take life. And um, to kind of insert yourself into that role and and sort of transcend that process um, is, you know, a pretty big thing to do. And that is precisely why the Abrahamic faiths are not uh, big fans of, of suicide. Um, but I, I think there's also a couple other things here, this issue of consent and Christine, you're, you're the expert um, on <laughs> consent, <laughs> if I can put it that way, but unborn people don't, they they don't have consent doesn't apply to people who aren't born yet and also presumably consent is somewhat yeah i mean if you're if you're not born how does that really work on a on a pretty basic level and then the other issue that also has religious implications is where did people get the idea that suffering is unacceptable that suffering is something that should be eradicated from human existence this is a pretty radical idea because for the entire sweep of human history, the assumption was precisely the opposite, that to be alive is to suffer. And that doesn't mean you have to love the process of suffering, only that you have to, in some sense, be aware that it can't be otherwise. So there's also something, I think, quite arrogant to presume that you're going to eradicate something that is part of the human condition, that is part of human existence, for whatever, how many millennia we've, you know, we've all been in as human beings up until this present point. I mean, it's just like an incredible, like philosophic, like it's an incredible move to say suffering is unacceptable at the most basic level. And therefore we should encourage people to end life in some, in, in some fundamental sense. I, I don't know if they like, think all suffering is unacceptable though. I think that it's more like this suffering outweighs whatever good. And um, that like this, the phrase they use a lot is like unintelligent design. 
so they sort of feel like life was put here randomly. Um, like for ethylists, this in, you know includes animals and insects and all like all life, right? Uh, so it's I, I understand where you're coming from. Uh, it, it it is a very like strange sort of worldview. But you know what it, it is? I would say maybe less in, entitled and more like it's it's very like it kind of only makes sense in our our present day. I think, or at least at least to me, like you you sort of you can't really be religious. You have to be in this headspace of sort of like, well, what's the what's the point of anything? And uh, you know, some some vocal antinatalists, like they, the way they describe their lives, it's like, yes, there's happiness. I can make do with my hobbies. There's there's one antinatalist who like does toy reviews and is a cosplayer or something. <laughs> like they have all these like little like niche things, but they have no grander purpose. And I I don't I don't want to put words in the movement's mouth or anything, but I think that might also be another big component of it. There's no it. I don't know if you've ever. Uh, been like very very depressed or like sort of like lost faith in in God. I mean, this is a, a crazy like very personal thing to bring up, but that headspace where it's like you can't you just you have like tunnel vision, you just can't see the point of anything. It's that expanded into uh, philosophy, I think. I, I mean, Catherine, just a follow up question on this: if life is suffering, okay, but part of the irony here is that. The people who are alive today, and presumably the people who are parts of these movements, primarily live in advanced Western democracies, and the people you talked to were primarily in the U.S. These are people who have a minimal level of financial security. They have enough disposable income to have time to think about things that other people wouldn't think about. Uh, There is this weird development going on where a growing number of Americans think that their lives suck, but by any object, objective metric, their lives are actually pretty awesome compared any to previous generations. What, what about relationships? Objective. But I mean, like, even uh, oh, sorry, like, I meant material. I was, okay. I was thinking here like material metrics. Uh, sorry, I should have clarified that. I don't mean spir- spiritual or emotional metrics because obviously – if people feel despairing, something is leading them to feel that way. But, you know, just in terms of levels of, you know, child poverty has decreased significantly, um, infant mortality rates, um, the, those kinds of, the kinds of things that really used to affect previous generations where families would want to have 10 kids because the presumption was that four or five or even more of them might die before they reach the age of 10. Like there has been a profound improvement on those measures, and there just seems to be something offensive that people who have all these benefits and all of these luxuries relative to, say, the Middle Ages are now the ones saying that life is too overwhelming for us to continue. Wow, Steven Pinker, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Uh, so I mean, I, I have a, a few a, a few responses to this. So what's really interesting about antinatalism is it's global, right? It's not it, people who subscribe to the philosophy. It's not necessarily a huge community, but it is uh, like like who are really serious about. It. When they say antinatalism, they mean like negative negative utilitarianism, and they they have read all the literature. Pretty small, but there's people in India, there's people in Europe. Um, so that's that's an interesting sort of caveat, and I don't know if it impacts your point at all. But I, I will say, what like, do we really know how how depressed people were in the Middle Ages? I 
that's, I mean, that's, it seems like sort of a weird uh, comparison. And I, life, I, maybe life is worse now, right? There's a, there's a, an argument to be made that the, it's it, just because you have uh, material benefits doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's, it's better, right? It's better in some sense, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I really agree with you on this one, Catherine. A, a couple points here. Um, first of all, I just want to say this aloud so that everyone knows I'm really stuck on the idea of an antinatalist who does toy reviews. Like I'm just imagining like a really sad Geppetto style figure. <laughs> and I, I don't know where, what to do with that. But now that just exists in my mind and also your minds now. Congratulations. Um, I think to your point about it being global, I just wanted to note I was reading up on this topic, too. And one of the first like um, sort of really globally covered cases happened, I think, in 2019. And it was actually a guy in India who sued his parents um, for having had him (laughs) without his consent because he believed that it was better to have not been born. And he resented the fact that he had been born. I think he lost this case because, you know, obviously, how how would they have asked him? (laughs) It was he had sued them for like one cent or something, like some like symbolic Uh amount, just so to bring awareness. And he clarified, he's like, I love my parents, but I'm doing this as a statement. So people know that this is the first injustice that is, you know, has ever you've ever experienced is being born. Um, He he seemed kind of, kind of, I don't want to say he seemed loony, but they seemed sort of there's like a dorkiness about him that didn't feel like feel particularly <laughs> sympathetic. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a dorkiness to a lot of these subcultures. Let's let's be honest here. Um, even a dorkiness to this pod, where we're not exempt. Yeah. Um, Demir's like I'm I'm exempt. No, I'm not. Oh, um, no. Go on. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I think that this idea um, of whether this question of whether life is better now than in the past. I think you're so right to narrow in on not the material benefits, but the spiritual case. I mean, you said yourself just a couple moments ago that what that it seems like this phenomenon is only possible in a kind of a society that has no faith, like a, a totally secularized society where there isn't an expansive time horizon or greater meaning for being. Like that your suffering isn't meaningful, that there is no sort of redemptive purpose or like larger story that you're a part of. And I actually, I think that might be the most, one of the, one of the more significant causes of like the attractiveness of antinatalism in both like its most extreme forms and like the, the more common forms like, Oh, well, I don't want to have children because climate change is going to like make their lives harder. I mean, if the only way that you measure the benefit, of life is whether it's like easy and a a good enough time while you're here. And it seems like it will be even marginally harder, hard enough to be like kind of unpleasant. And that's, that's the only standard you've got. Then, then maybe things do seem bad. You know, I, I think that just makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's just a very, very modern mindset and a very modern place. Isn't that something that people have some choice in, agency around. So if that is in fact the source <clears throat> of their despair, at least to some degree, and I think all of us are, would acknowledge that there is a crisis of meaning and people have been talking endlessly about that over the past few years. You know, if if there are ways to find meaning, it is challenging. 
But if that is in fact the source of the problem, there are steps that individuals can take to try to discover meaning in their lives. And actually one of them is by having kids, you know, ironically. Well, let me, you know, here's, here's the part. I, I, I think I probably set myself apart from maybe all three of you uh, in the sense that, that, you know, I don't know, I, I'm not religious at all. Um, and I, you know, am not so troubled by this lack of meaning. And I guess maybe the part that, that really jumps out at me, and this is why I was sort of going on about the, you know, the entitlement or, or, or that whole sort of thing. It just doesn't follow at all logically to me that posit there is no meaning. Posit, you know, even even your points, Catherine, about depression. Maybe depression is a good way to think about it. If you if you if you find yourself in a depressive cycle, you know, then then I think a lot of the sort of suicidal ideation comes around, and then maybe you externalize that and think about you know consent to being born and stuff like that. Though I think it's really weird, um, but but it doesn't follow at all to me that you posit there is no meaning and therefore. Uh, you won't have kids. There's a there's a leap there that really sounds and feels off to me somehow. And and you know, Christine, I mean, you're you're talking about the parallels, and I think they're correct between this and yeah, you know, I alluded to them between this and sort of like the climate change stuff. I kind of feel the same way uh, when when people, never mind the the antinatalists or sort of the people who are worried about having kids and bringing them into the planet even more broadly when talking about climate change it's 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 a weird sense of feeling among moderns that they are i don't know grasping meaning by fighting something that's bigger than them including climate change i mean my mm-hmm. my approach to climate change is that this is an incredibly complex thing I mean, it's real, but on the level of, you know, and therefore I'm going to do something about it, that that seems to me like, again, that kind of hubristic, very modern approach to trying to craft some kind of meaning, some kind of dramatic arc to your life um, from, you know, the world around you. And, you know, almost to imbue a kind of heroic narrative arc to your life which, and maybe Catherine, you can help me out. It, it feels to me that has a lot to do with the internet, where the internet is sort of has acculturated an entire generation to feel like they are somehow starring in some kind of narrative, something important, <laughs> and that they're Catherine? and that they're therefore, I don't know, more dramatic about these sorts of things. You know, I it like. Very philosophically, starting from the concept of nihilism, it doesn't, to me, in any way, shape, or form necessarily lead to this idea about consent to be born or, you know, having children or saving the planet or, you know, any of these sort of ethical categories. None of that comes from the kind of core nihilism that seems to be at the heart of all of this. Catherine, what we're asking you here is, are antinatalists suffering from a bad case of main character syndrome? (laughs) Uh, I... I think I mean I think that's a great point, right? I, there, I don't know if it's it's native to the internet. 
it, it, like I, there's people obviously who argue that it's that this is the problem that the printing press wrought, right? Uh, and maybe it's it's now been amplified because we're all, you know, many of us are are, are knowledge workers, and uh, you know, we we just all we we're completely ripped from any sort of fabric of society, and there's no religion, so all we kind of have is our internal monologue, whether it's television or the internet or you know, whatever. Uh, and that's sort of the, like our only choice in terms of how to conceptualize our life is through uh, is through this narrative lens. So, I, I mean, maybe. I mean, that's a, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. Well, one question here. Um, this is also an internet question, too, I guess. Do you see this cropping up way, like, significantly more in, like, millennials, Gen Z, and below? I think that's what the stats show if you look at statistics of like people who are afraid of climate change um, or who think about the severe impacts climate change will have on their lives like older people don't um, for kind of obvious reasons I think that they likely won't be around but there are increasing cases and psychologists report this too of like young people especially sort of kids and teens who are sort of paralyzed like have real climate anxiety as like a, a condition that makes it difficult for them to live their lives. Well, it de- it depends on how you're conceptualizing climate change too, right? Like so, like a silent generation or like, like a boomer, even like Gen X might think of climate change as like, uh, you know, a few more like cataclysmic hurricanes or something, or like maybe it's the summers are hotter. Um, I used to be like, I used to be very paralyzed by climate anxiety. I was like a climate prepper. I, I mean, it, re- it like ruined my life for like six years. It's, like seriously, I had cans of water in my garage and I was just like totally off the rails. It was all I could talk about. And the way I conceptualized it was like, it will make even like small joys completely impossible. Like everything felt pointless. I, huh. uh, I very briefly was like working for a company that sold cars and I was like, why are we, why are we doing this? Like, we're going to hit peak oil and like, no one's going to be able to drive and there's going to be these like authoritarian laws. And I really believed it. And it's kind of hard to like put myself back in that perspective now because it just, it was just like so sort of like mentally ill. But I think, I mean, I think a lot of people are are thinking about it and like, this is going to destroy everything. Not like this is going to uh, make it more difficult to go snorkeling or like, this is going like, you know, like it's, it's, it's not like these sort of very tragic, but like, you know, huh. ultimately not life-altering things. But, like, I, I mean, I was worried that I wasn't going to have access to food, that I wasn't going to have access to clean water, uh, that it was going to upend agriculture. You know, like, I don't know if I, I wasn't really picturing, like, a Mad Max scenario per se, but, like, I, it, I mean, I was at least picturing the U.S. turning into Venezuela because of, like, climate-related ills. I, and it got so crazy that eventually I was like, what if... Okay, here's how I'm going to think about it. I'm going to pray that, like... Uh, the fang companies will create micronations. And if I get a job at one of these companies, maybe I'll be saved. I mean, it was just like so ill. Like it was just such such a sickness. <laughs> so que- a question on that though. So I mean, even if that were the case that the US was going to be more like Venezuela, presumably there would be a lag p- period that it wouldn't happen right away. Like let's say it could happen in 30 years or 20 years, why wouldn't the reaction be, well, okay, let's enjoy what we have now. Let's make the most of the time we have. Let's value 
our relationships with our parents and partners and children and just be more present with our friends, you know, read the novels we've been wanting to read or the Ingmar Bergman films we always said that we would watch. Like, why couldn't that be a reasonable response to the same fear? Sure, but that's not the nature of anxiety. I mean, the nature of anxiety is that it's all consuming, right? Like, I I mean, I like the funny thing is I, I, I let go of it and then I like then COVID happened and I, I you know, just was having the time of my life, which is like the crazy, which is sort of crazy, like a crazy, because like some kind of fear was realized. And I was like, whatever, right? <laughs> it's YOLO. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I lo- if I was right, right? Like I lost all this time to just being so anxious. And that's sort of the part that I think maybe uh, people who think climate alarmism should be more compassionate about. Like it does turn into a mental illness and especially like if you have no other like structure of your structure in your life. And this is why I'm always recommending people like look into a religion that speaks to them because that if you were, if you're prone to like uh, letting something like climate alarmism rule you, then you could definitely like just fill that hole with Jesus and be a lot happier <laughs> in my, in my opinion. No, my I, I think that's exactly right. That's, 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 and that's, you know, it's it's but but I think you said something important here and you know, I'm not going to I'm going to say it not 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 necessarily attributed to you. But but basically <laughs> climate alarmism is a, is a mental disorder. I mean, is really what it comes down to. And and by mental disorder it's like depression, anxiety, all of these sorts of things, but it's 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 in a really important way it has nothing to do with the climate. It has something to do with something else in the the sort of the water, the you know, the, and by water I mean you know the the sort <laughs> the of the internet world, the air we breathe, you know, the 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 sort of society we've sort of find ourselves in that leads people to this. And um, I don't know. That's that's <sighs> well. There's also a very simple thing. The other, I mean, the other thing that should not be taken for granted is imagine news sources or figures who you mm. trust and who are saying, like, how would you, if, if, if you believed what they're saying is, like, literally true, like, how would you react to that news? I mean, this is something I say when I talk about abortion, right? Like, if you literally believe that life starts at conception and that, and you literally believe abortion is murder, of course your reaction is going to be, like, I think that's something that's, it's, it seems so obvious, but it's really easy to forget that, like, there's, they think it's li- like a literal, like, this is literally happening and we can't avoid it and it's out of my control. And it's really scary if you don't have any skepticism. And there's a comparison here, I think, to also COVID alarmism. And I know it's sort of odd to bring this up because no one really thinks about COVID anymore. It's like one of those things that really feels somehow memory hold. Uh, But I suppose there's still people on Twitter who care about it a lot. But I think that what's going on there is maybe similar, that people can't let go of their fears of COVID even after uh, most of the catastrophic elements have passed and there is something going on there. It's not about objective scientific analysis on vaccination rates or long COVID or anything else. It's actually coming from something deeper and something different. And I should also just note um, some stats here that could be relevant for our listeners on the climate anxiety part of it. There's an article in the Washington Post um, by Peggy Heffington. First of all, the opening paragraph is remarkable to me. So she says this. 
As a college professor, I'm used to hearing young people's anxiety and even anger about climate change. One of the most striking trends is the number of students who have told me they feel robbed of the ability to have children, cheated out of parenthood by decades of climate denial and inaction by baby boomers and their own Gen X parents. I want to mention that because there seems to be a kind of generational rebellion that might be going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, in this article, the author also cites this, the stats on this based on a 2021 survey. More, uh, nearly 40% of respondents said that they were, quote unquote, hesitant to have children. And this is a survey of 10,000 people between the ages of 16 and 25. So we are definitely talking about a younger demographic. So I want to also just like pull out maybe two points that I think are are threaded through this conversation that we're having. Um, one is I was joking about the sort of the main character syndrome-esque quality of this. Um, but I feel like this is an important critique of both like the climate fear that causes you not to have children and antinatalism more generally. It is the idea, it is an assumption that because you're not enjoying your experience, any child that you would have would also have the exact same experience, unpleasant experience that you would, or that, you know, you have the imagination to like think through this unborn being's life and decide whether or not it's going to be good for them. And when you, when that sort of thinking um, sort of comes into contact with really anything involving sort of natalism, childbirth, et cetera, things, things get really weird. I mean, this is also the thinking behind eugenics, right? Like, well, I think a disabled person's life sucks, so I don't think we should have any disabled people. And I'm, I'm doing like it for them. Off, right? <laughs> Tell me like, more about that. Like, I, I, they, so antinatalists at least think that suff, like the suffering outweighs the, whatever benefits they have. So they don't, they aren't necessarily necessarily not enjoying their lives. They just think that minimizing any suffering at all is is a goal right <clears throat> and right. like i was listening to a, a podcast with amanda sukunik um also known as old fan who's a like a very popular antinatalist spokesperson almost and she was saying like i would rather prevent you know a one percent risk of cancer um than have someone live because that one percent risk of cancer is uh, worse than any benefit you can derive from living. Not that the benefits aren't real, just that they put such a weight on suffering that they think that there's the goodness just pales in comparison. Which is, but that's what I mean, right? Isn't isn't that like you're deciding for someone else that, like, in my opinion, suffering is so bad that whatever goodness you're going to experience is just going to be outweighed by your suffering? Like, imagine saying that to a cancer patient. Like, I just think that what you're suffering is so bad that you should just die. That's that's my opinion. Uh, I just personally believe that suffering is so bad that I think that you should also adopt my mindset. And there's also this, like, annoying question of, like, what is suffering, right? Like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is maybe like a rabbit hole we don't want to go down but like I don't like I used to be like so poor that I would count like loose change to get something at Dunkin Donuts as a treat right and I don't like I think I might have actually been happier at that point in my life now I just sort of you know whatever like $10 Starbucks every day and I, I think about that like <laughs> comparison mm-hmm. and it's it's you know to maybe to someone like Amanda Sukunik to 
to offer like a fairly benign example, that lifestyle is is worse, right? I don't, you know. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what Shuddy was maybe getting at when he went all pinkerite on us and was like, you know, life is so much better. Like even for people in the poorest countries, life is better today. Like, yeah, there are people with lives that are materially much worse, in fact, than Americans. And they might in fact say that they are loving their lives and happy to be there. And that's, it's not on us to like decide that their lives are worse. But the other thread that I wanted to pull out was the question of agency. Um, And this is kind of what Demir was saying, I think, if I'm interpreting this right, um, that in the absence of kind of a a larger narrative or a larger story um, saying that you won't have a child in the face of climate change or saying that you've decided to take up this new philosophical tradition called antinatalism and, you know, refuse to have children in the future is a form of taking control into your own hands. And what was striking about that paragraph that Shadi read, too, is like uh, Peggy Huffington wrote, one of the most striking trends is the number of students who told me they feel robbed of the ability to have children, cheated out of parenthood by decades of climate denial. Like the language there is like, you've robbed me, you've taken something from me that like, they're really feeling like they're, they're reacting against, um, I don't know, being enclosed in a box or something. They're like reclaiming agency but, but Christine, in the why, weakest why way you, possible. Why did you pull back on the main character syndrome? This seems to me, this is exactly this kind of weird, weird heroic solipsism. I don't know how to describe it. I don't have the words. And quite frankly, I'm not, I'm not really up on all of this, but this is exactly it. It's, it's this. It's it's both an, uh, a staggering lack of actual empathy and an ability to understand the world outside your own head, uh, coupled with some kind of weird neurosis that 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 you're convinced that your ideology matters and in fact you're that you're able to impact the world. I mean, it's it's breathtaking in in, in so many ways. And again, I, I say this as someone who who generally is not you know, uh, prone to heroic narratives or, or like narratives about meaning in my own personal life and how I think about things. I, I, uh, you know, I feel like in, in, in many ways, my starting premises are are pretty close to these people, but then they just take these really weird solipsistic, I hate to use the word, but like semi-autistic leaps into, (laughs) into, uh, uh, into into this kind of weird ideology and stuff, and I, 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 it's hard for me to follow that. And it's putting our finger on that that I think is well, at least even in this conversation, is sort of helpful because there's something defining about that that pose yeah. that that, and it's not. A, I don't mean pose in the sense that these people are inauthentic. I don't. Again, I, I'm not taking anything. I'm not Im- implying bad faith to them. There's just something psychological here um, that I think actually speaks to much more broadly than just this uh, internet sub-community. It speaks to something really prevalent in the world today, it feels like. Demir, could you say a bit more about how you share some of the starting premises I mean, of I already the did. anti-natalists? I mean, it's just kind of, it's just kind of a, um, a general first principle belief in... Uh, a lack of actual, uh, you know, objective uh, trajectory of meaning to any of it. I think I, you know, generally that's that's how I've structured my life. Uh, for whatever reason, that doesn't lead me into depression um, or into a kind of nihilism where, you know, the leap from taking that as a starting premise 
and then therefore willing the world to end? That seems to me the part that's the real leap that I can't really identify with. Demir is actually yeah. the the man portrayed in Casper David Friedrich's Wanderer Above the Sea of Fog. Um, <laughs> but like the happy version. Um, I have no idea what that the, is, or- <laughs> but... I'll look that up and put it in the show notes. <laughs> Please. Is, um, is that a children's you'll... book? No, it's a, it's no, it's a, a painting. painting. It's a very famous... <laughs> it's a, it's a, it gets memed a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, actually, this question, this is kind of where I wanted to throw it back to you, Catherine. I had one last follow-up question, or I mean, probably more than one, but one key question. You talked about your own time in this climate fear bubble. Like, A, how did you, like, how did you get out of it? What are you out of that? And then B, how does this, I I feel, and I can't quite put my finger on it, but it does feel like this this in-your-headness, what <laughs> Demir terms is sort of a semi-autistic, solipsistic, solipsistic way of thinking, um, this inability to sort of like see the rest of the world is tied in some way to like the internet age and like the internet personality. And I know that's that's your area of expertise. So yeah, what do you think about that? Uh, so, okay, so what got me out of it, is, it's going to sound like a joke, but uh, I, I joined a cult actually and uh i i remember thinking like at the early stages of being being in it like the lead i was like these people are dedicating their lives to like something that's like fake as hell like i didn't buy into it totally and then i stuck with it long enough until it felt real and it kind of like eclipsed my uh climate change obsession and it freed me and allowed me to think about other things and then once the once i felt sort of like the cult was kind of like encroaching on my ability to be like an individual it i i, I kind of like there was it was there was a lot of conflict but i left um it was very weird it was very very weird um <laughs> but yeah it's like somehow that like liberated me and then there was a, I, there was several other major life changes and finally i was i freed from the chains of being obsessed with climate change uh, it's a strange story but that's <laughs> it's along the short of it that's fascinating uh, yeah, it's I, I don't know. It's 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 something that maybe I should be more like embarrassed about uh, talking about. But I, I there there's a lot of benefits uh, in in being in this group. As much as like they were promoting just bizarre things, it, it I've experienced genuine community, um, albeit with a lot of magical thinking. I had a routine. There's it <laughs> it was sort of like a rehab before joining the rest of the world but well you know what they say one woman's cult is another man's religion (laughs) do they say that do they say that that's it for part one dear listeners there's a lot more where that came from if you're not yet a paying subscriber please head on over to wisdomofcrowds.live and become one help support our work hope to see you in the bonus